All right. Well, we're back with another episode of Understand South Carolina. This week, we're going to be talking about evictions in South Carolina and the cost involved when a tenant tries to appeal them. I'm Emery Parker. And I'm Emily Williams. We're going to be talking with reporter Thad Moore, who just wrote and reported a story on why so many South Carolina renters who face removal from their homes are routinely denied the chance to have their cases heard. Yeah. And so it comes down to one simple reason. To fight an eviction, renters have to come up with thousands of dollars sometimes in a matter of days, which is pretty wild. So Thad, what got you interested in the story? And, and like, like, why did you start looking into this? Yeah. Um, so I, we, we've been looking at evictions the last few months, uh, just sort of in light of the COVID situation. Uh, we'd actually been planning to do some more reporting on evictions, just uh, largely because of South Carolina's high eviction rate um, before COVID. And that sort of took on a new level of urgency, um, obviously, with the with the recession. Um, in this case, we, we'd gotten a call from a renter who was basically raising a separate set of issues about their situation. And I looked over their, their, um, their case file and came across the fact that they tried to appeal an eviction and that it had been tossed out because they couldn't come up with um, a bond payment, which I, I forget the amount would, it was maybe a few thousand dollars. And I was kind of wondering, is that, is that something that's happening very much? Or I've never even heard of that happening. And so then I started sort of looking through um, more cases and more appeals and realizing that this was happening actually pretty frequently, that uh, renters in South Carolina, if they try to, to file an appeal, very rarely do they actually have an appeal heard because um, the, the financial requirements to, to have one heard are, are so high. Um, okay. And so that's kind of where we went. Let me, let me ask a couple of dumb questions. Um, what is a bond payment? So basically, a bond payment um, in this context is just your back rent. So whatever uh, amount that your landlord says that you you owe or that you haven't paid, um, they're saying you owe this much, and the court is saying if we're going to hear this appeal, then you need to come up with that money so that they're made whole uh, if you happen to lose. Basically, a bond payment in general in the courts are if there's a judgment against you and you appeal it, um, you need to put up that money to make sure that if you do lose an appeal that the person who beat you in the lower court will not get sort of shafted as a result. Uh, evictions are a different situation, kind of, though, uh, because you're dealing with relatively large sums of money and sort of just average consumers. Um, but that's that's sort of the, uh, the legal idea. So kind of lay out the process for us. So say a renter gets noticed that they're being evicted and and I guess just first of all why would someone appeal what are some of the reasons that that people are appealing yeah so so this the appeal obviously happens after your initial eviction uh, is heard and one kind of quirk of South Carolina the way that we handle evictions here is that you don't actually automatically get a hearing if you have an eviction filed against you you have to actually request one and if you don't then you're held in default and the landlord wins. Um, so what, what this is really about, the reason you might appeal in a case here is, um, let's say that somebody files an eviction against you because you're behind on your rent, but you say, well, actually I did make a payment or you didn't credit me with all the payments that I made. Or, um, you know, we agreed that I would, I would fix the dishwasher and you would knock off a couple hundred bucks off of my rent, things like that. Um, basically the, 
in a common rental agreement, like the amount due is not really disputed, but there are situations where it comes up. Um, and that's when an appeal would come in. Basically, if there's a question of, uh, you know, how much you owe or whether your landlord uh, kept the property up in a way that uh, might sort of win you damages. Like if your landlord doesn't provide heat to your house, then you are not going to be paying full rent usually in a court. Uh, and so that's that's when uh, things get kind of hairier and, and appeal comes into play. So if a renter is appealing, when would they have to make this payment? Like you said, this this bond payment, how much time do they usually have to get that money together? Yeah, so, so this is kind of one issue where the law is a little messy. Um, but the common understanding is that, uh, so if, you, if I file an appeal today, the, the judge is going to set a bond hearing where we decide how much do I have to put up in order to have the appeal heard. Once that amount is set, I have five days. So if the, let's say that my landlord says I owe $3,000, uh, but I disagree, right? If the judge says, no, we're going to go ahead and make $3,000, the amount you have to put up, I have, we're recording this on what, a Wednesday, I would have until like the next Monday to come up with that money, which is a really big ask for, you know, a, a renter or really any just consumer. It's a lot of money to come up and not a lot of time. How often is this happening? I know you looked through uh, court records. How, how much time did you look at? How often is this happening in, in South Carolina? It's hard to say exactly for certain. Um, basically, what I did is I, I went through every county's appeals and looked for housing cases that uh, had gone up. And I found more than 120 instances since the start of 2019. So really over like the course of 18 months or so, um, where an appeal had been thrown out because a bond payment was not met. Um, there are more instances where, so one other requirement in the law is in addition to the money you, you put up upfront, you have to pay your rent as it comes due every month. The idea is like, you don't want, if somebody owns a property, you don't want them to be harmed just because there's an appeal happening. Like they need to make their mortgage payments or whatever. Um, so there are some more instances where that happens, uh, but basically 120 times since the start of 2019. And how does South Carolina compare to other states? Is this something that just happens everywhere across the U.S.? Is this more unique to our state? Yeah. So, I mean, evictions are being appealed all over, right? Um, but but South Carolina's handling is, from what I, just like talking to uh, an expert from the National Housing Law Project, um, we're actually fairly out of step. Like a lot of states will say, let's put aside the amount that you owed in the past the way that we're going to make sure that the landlord's interests are protected during an appeal is to say, um, you just need to pay your rent going forward, right? Like the way that a landlord would be harmed because of an appeal is if they have a, a unit locked up that they're not making income on. So they're saying, let's put that issue aside. That's like why we're having the appeal, the back rent. Let's just have you keep paying the rent going forward. That's what a few uh, or several other states do. In other states like North Carolina, um, they'll also ask you to put up the back rent as a bond. But if you are poor um, and you meet certain income standards, then you can have that waived and your case can still be heard. And that's one of the things that's really kind of ironic about the way South Carolina handles this is the courts. So to file an appeal, you have to pay a filing fee. It's like 150 bucks. Um, 
the courts, if you are if you are under a certain income threshold, will waive the hundred fifty dollar fee. Like they're recognizing that you are not in a financial situation to come up with that money, but then they're turning around and still requiring you to put up, in some cases, almost a year's worth of rent or several months worth of rent, uh, depending on kind of the, the magistrate you call and how they handle these cases. So there isn't an option, just to be clear, there isn't an option in South Carolina for that bond payment to be waived depending on your income, if you have a lower income. That's right. And, and one thing that's sort of tricky here is that the, the law as it's written is, is kind of just confusing. So um, th- there are several housing attorneys in South Carolina who say, if you read the law strictly, um, you shouldn't actually have to put up a bond. Because there's a certain law that, that governs like home rentals, but there are other laws that, that govern commercial leases. And you can kind of see where this is going to get wonky. Um, and sometimes judges will cite the other set of law um, to, to assess a bond payment. And there's basically a dispute as to whether there should be any of these payments at all. So it's, it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a hairball. Um, and it, it depends a lot on the specific judge who who handles your bond, what their read of the law is. I know one of the things you referenced to is the fact that magistrates in South Carolina don't have to have formal legal training, right? So I guess you can see why that comes into play here. Can you explain that a, a little more? Yeah. And I mean, also, just like to explain what a magistrate is in case yes, yes, people aren't, aren't familiar with that word. Point. Yeah. So a magistrate is basically, um, it's like a summary court. It's like the lowest court uh, in, in the state. So if you, let's say you got a traffic ticket, you would you would be going in front of a magistrate. If you're an eviction case goes before a magistrate, small claims court, that's a magistrate. So they handle relatively small disputes. Um, and they're also dealing with like a huge amount of volume usually. So they're, they're, they're really churning through a lot of, uh, a lot of cases in a, in a given month or year. So the way, the way South Carolina's magistrate system works is um, to be a magistrate, you don't have to have formal legal training. Like you don't have to go to law school. You don't have to be a practicing attorney. Um, so in a real sense, what the, the system here, the way it works um, in practice is that if you want somebody who is for sure an attorney and has legal training to hear your eviction case, because you think there's some dispute over the way the law works or something like that, you have to come up with this bond payment. Um, The majority of magistrates uh, in South Carolina do not have law degrees. And that in many cases is it's not, it's okay. Like it's okay to not have legal training. They, a lot of these disputes are relatively routine and, and that's um, it's not always an issue. I don't mean to say that magistrates are always, they're doing their jobs wrong. But the, the idea is that if you want that sort of uh, higher level of training or, or a more sort of seasoned judge, um, that's where this bond payment comes into play and uh, it becomes a, a bit of a, an access issue. What were some of the uh, examples that you found of, of cases of, of people running into this problem? Yeah, they, they, run, the, they run the gamut. So um, a lot of the cases... You know, I mentioned that sometimes there's a, a dispute over how much somebody owes their landlord. Um, sometimes it's really simple. Like it's it's people who like there's this guy in um, 
and Fort Mill, I think it was up near Charlotte, where he said he made repairs and he didn't get credited for it. There's a case, um, there's some sort of more oddball cases. Like there's somebody in Myrtle Beach who said uh, that she was, uh, she was charged a fine for having a pet, but she said it was actually a wild bird that did live in her townhouse. And it, basically it's like, it's all kinds of issues. And that's sort of the thing with housing issues, right? Is everybody's got a house. So you get the full like scope of humanity and the weird issues that come up in people's lives. Um, so, so those are some of the examples. I'm trying to think of other specific ones, but um, the, the bird one stuck out to me. <laughs> well, you, um, one of the ones that I, I think kind of stuck out to us, um, th- there was a case of three combat veterans who were renting an apartment in uh, downtown Charleston. What was, what was their story? Yeah. So in, in their case, they basically, um, they were looking for a place to live downtown and they saw, I think, I don't know what site they were on, but say they were on Craigslist. They, they see a, you know, a housing ad. And, uh, one of the things in the, in the ad says, you know, veterans and other groups may qualify for a subsidy, like a rent subsidy. And they're like, mm-hmm. okay, well we're veterans. So maybe we qualify here. Um, and then they get their lease, and the, so the the ad had been the apartment had been listed at twenty one hundred dollars a month. Um, when they get their lease, it says twelve hundred dollars a month, and they're like, "Cool, that subsidy is doing stuff for us. It's this is great." A few months in, the landlord says, "Oh no, no, no! You're supposed to be paying twenty one hundred dollars a month. That's a that's a typo." Um, and so the landlord files for eviction. Uh, the the magistrate judge uh sides with the landlord and says yeah this is clearly like a typo you guys should be paying more over the course of their t- living in this house thirty six hundred dollars the nine hundred dollars times four months had built up so to appeal the magistrate said okay well your back rent is thirty six hundred dollars so you need to come up with that money in order for a higher judge to hear this case and that's like one of these cases where it's a it's kind of a messy situation, right? Like a mistake was clearly made. Uh, maybe there's a dispute as to what you know what version of the contract should live or should sort of govern this this agreement. Um, but to have a sort of second opinion, they had to come up with thirty six hundred dollars, uh, and they were able to do that. They they were able to find um, like a nonprofit sort of fronted the cash for them but not everybody's going to have that access and honestly to find a nonprofit who's going to put up thirty six hundred dollars so that you can appeal your case in a matter of five days is a really big ask i think that's why we see so many of these cases end up getting thrown out because the amount of time you have to work with and the amount of money that you're often dealing with um just put up a huge wall for a lot of tenants to to have a dispute aired out I think the really interesting element there is the fact that that initial $150 filing fee, like you said, can be waived, whereas there isn't that option for this bond payment. And and just to kind of circle back to this, you said that is how it works in North Carolina, that if someone had a lower income, they could um, apply. And I guess I'm thinking of that person in in Fort Mill, who was probably very close to North Carolina, that's a Charlotte suburb. Um, you know, if they'd just been 
a little little closer there, they would be in a different situation. Is is that is that correct? That that's how it works then? Yeah, I mean, in that case, if they lived five miles over the line, oh, wow. um, they might have been a different situation. And I don't know what their their income situation is, whether right. they would have qualified, but they would have been a little bit more wiggle room there. Uh, and then certainly, yeah, in this case, um, you know, they had a pro bono attorney, so you you have to meet certain like income requirements to to get that representation. They didn't have to pay the filing fee. Um, but they still had to come up with $3,600. So it's, it's sort of, you see where the system is trying to build in some leniency for people who are in sort of tougher financial situations. And then there's this sort of brick wall that can become a barrier in many cases to, um, to trying to access justice. I'm wondering too, what's the range in the amount that a tenant may have to pay for this for this bond payment is it is it possible that it could be uh zero dollars like could it could a magistrate decide you know they're not going to charge is there consistency on that what did you find there yeah and this this is exactly kind of the real issue here is that the the way the law is written uh and being interpreted it really depends on kind of what county you're in or which judge within a county uh, your case is assigned to, uh, because there is a lot of variance because the law is not especially clear. So yeah, there are cases where, um, I, I mentioned that some attorneys have this strict reading of the law where you just have to keep up with your rent going forward and you can have an appeal. So there are some judges who apply that standard, right? The kind of common, more common standard that I came across is you have to come up with all of your back rent and then pay forward. So that, you know, is usually a few thousand dollars. And then there are a few outliers on the on the other extreme where um, judges will say, you have to come up with your back rent and you have to come up with three months rent in the future just to sort of like guarantee that while this appeal is playing out, your rent will be paid. So there's this one case uh, where somebody had subsidized housing and uh, they basically required, this was in Greenville, I believe it was, they were required to play, pay 11 months rent. And some of it was back rent that they allegedly owed. Wow. But basically almost a year's worth of rent in the matter of a few days. And this is wow. someone in subsidized housing, so we can assume they probably don't have the income to anywhere close to handle that. Right. Wow. I, I feel like this is really just as as a, a renter myself. And I know that you said at the beginning of this process, you didn't really know about this, right? I just feel like that's that's good to know. If someone ever finds themselves in that in that situation where they are facing an eviction and have that kind of dispute, like you said, of they say I paid this, you know, the landlord said said that. It's um I feel like that's just important for anyone who's who's renting to at least be aware of. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously I'm not a lawyer, but I would say definitely if you um if you are trying to appeal an eviction, A, I, I would probably try to find representation, maybe pro bono counsel if you qualify for it uh, or, or otherwise. Um, you, you, can, you can kind of contest the amount of bond, uh, but you, you need to know to do that and need to know how to do that. Um, so if nothing else, definitely show up for your bond hearing uh, if, you, if you get notice for one. Um, because yeah, I mean, it, it is the difference between having your case heard and potentially getting you know a different outcome and your case just being dismissed out of hand. 
When you spoke to some housing attorneys, other experts, what did they say in terms of how to change this issue in in any way? Or is, is there a way to clarify some of the ambiguities in the law as it stands now? Did they suggest anything? Yeah, I mean, so so one, I guess I mentioned earlier, um, when when magistrates are setting bond or dismissing uh, eviction appeals based on bond, um, they're citing often like diff- multiple different parts of the law. So I've seen cases where they cited the law that is supposed to deal with trespassing offenses or for commercial leases. Um, and then the relevant part of the Landlord and Tenant Act, which is the law that governs rentals in the state. Um, the way it's written, there's a, there's basically like a lot of confusion about it. There's a, literally a typo in it that refers to a different part of law. It, it's a mess. It's it just, it, the way it's written is, it's pointing in a lot of different directions. So one thing that could be done is, A, either a higher court could step in and say, okay, like, let's look at all of this law and figure out what is supposed to apply and how this is supposed to work. Um, probably the more likely route here would be for the legislature to update the Landlord Tenant Act and say, okay, this is how it's supposed to be done. Like the way it was written, this part of the law hasn't been touched in 35 years since the, the law went into effect. Um, so there, there seems to be some need for clarity on what is supposed to actually be happening because Obviously, we're seeing these cases where you might have to pay zero dollars, you might have to pay 11 months back rent. I mean, that's a huge, huge gulf uh, and and seems to kind of call out for some amount of clarity from someone. Is this something that you're planning to write more on? Are you still looking into this? Um, Where does this kind of stand for you right now? Yeah, I don't know if we'll what we'll do with appeals. I mean, I'll, I'll definitely be interested if like the legislature takes anything up or anything like that. Uh, but certainly with evictions, that's an issue that um, that we're continuing to follow and sort of look at different aspects of kind of how that system works. Especially, you know, South Carolina and certainly Charleston in particular have very high eviction rates. Uh, we see a lot of eviction filings happening, and given the economic situation that we're in now. Um, there's really uh, a lot of urgency around keeping up with that. So we're looking at different sort of aspects of, uh, you know, what, what policy efforts leaders have taken to address this or, um, some of the other sort of economic, uh, dynamics that sort of shape our housing market here. Um, there's, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, but it feels like it may never have been as important as it's right now. I mean, it, we, mm-hmm. we keep hearing about this sort of brewing eviction crisis and um, definitely trying to keep up with it as, as it uh, progresses. And I mean, hopefully it won't, but, you know, want to be sort of aware of what's going on. Well, with that in mind, I guess it kind of goes without saying that um, evictions are back up and running in the state and they had been um, suspended for a while um, due to coronavirus. Um, so how, how's that going? Yeah. Uh, so, so we've actually been reopened for evictions for almost, or actually a little bit more than two months now. Um, I think what we've seen so far is not the sort of flood of cases that we maybe thought we would have at first. Um, Mm -hmm. it's been, it's been sort of slower and steadier. And I think that 
you know, one thing that I've been hearing anecdotally is that there is more willingness from landlords to work with their tenants if they run into financial problems right now. Um, part of that is honestly just because I don't think there's a lot of rental demand. Um, so, you know, it's better to try to work with someone while, while the, who's there rather than try to fill an apartment when there may not be a lot of demand for it. Um, one sort of big wild card in that is that the federal government um, has had a sort of limited eviction moratorium. So they shut down a good number of evictions. Uh, if you get any kind of housing subsidy from the federal government, you can't be evicted right now. If you're a landlord and your, uh, your loan is backed by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, uh, you can't evict someone right now. That protection began to lift um, at the end of July. Uh, and basically, landlords now can start to give notice to say, hey, we're going to evict you. And that we'll start to see that happen in August unless Congress steps in. And that's one of the big question marks is, A, how much of that is what is keeping us from having a big wave of evictions here? It, it's possible that it is a factor. It's really hard to say right now. Mm. Um, and then also, what will Congress do? I mean, Congress may do something. Um, they're talking about it, I think, right now. So. There, there's a lot that's sort of up in the air, but certainly right now, at least so far, we haven't seen a huge crush of evictions, um, which is which is great to see. Um, but as we see those federal protections expire and and maybe honestly landlords' leniency start to wear thin, uh, we'll see kind of where it goes. I think it's also relevant that the. $600 that um, people who are unemployed right now have been getting uh, from the federal government weekly in addition to their state unemployment benefits. That is expiring. Um, again, talking about what will Congress do, we don't quite know that's still being debated, but I know that that, that money is one of the reasons why a lot of people have been able to keep paying their rent. That's a great um, point. So I'm interested to see what that will do in terms of evictions as, as well. Again, there could be um, an expansion of that. We don't know at this point, but just for example, in South Carolina, with that extra $600, um, I mean, that makes a huge difference because just that sum alone is almost twice the amount, um, the maximum benefit you can get from the states. So that's $326 per week um, from South Carolina. So a really big difference there. We still have a lot of people who are out of work during the pandemic. Some people have gone back to work, but um, yeah, like I said, that's been helping a lot of people make their rent payments. So uh, I'm sure we'll see some effect from that as well. That's a really good point. I mean, yeah, I, like I said, I mean, it, it's been, it's been pretty slow for the first two months or not pretty slow, but pretty typical for the first two months. Um, but if there's anything that we've learned in the last or so far this year, it's that things can change in a hurry uh, with the economy and with the public health situation. So, yeah, I, who, we really have no idea you know, what may be coming one way or the other. And I would also assume that if anyone who's listening uh, has things to share, has things to say about this issue to reach out to you, right? And what are the best ways for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, we would definitely love to, to speak with anyone who has sort of thoughts on housing right now, um, whether you're facing eviction or 
if you're a landlord, anything like that, I, I'm always happy to talk about that. Um, probably the best way to reach me right now is through email. So my email is tmore, T-M-O-O-R-E, at postandcareer.com. Um, you can tweet at me at Thadmore on Twitter. Um, yeah, I, definitely the more voices we hear from, the more kind of comprehensive our coverage can be. Uh, there, Like I said, there, there are so many sort of issues within this issue that it's hard to keep track of everything and it's all very fluid right now. So um, all the eyes and ears we have in the community, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the better that, that makes our coverage. Definitely. Yeah. So stay, stay tuned on the uh, the big picture of, of evictions. We'll be uh, covering that probably for, for a while. Um, and if you've got any comments or questions or suggestions for this podcast, um, you can find us on Twitter. We are at understandsc, all one word. Um, so uh, thanks for listening. And we will be back next week with another episode of Understand South Carolina. Thanks for joining us, Dad. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, and that's all. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier in Charleston. Our theme song is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music by searching for Billy, that's with an I-E, Fountain, on Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. You can get in touch with us by emailing understandsc at postandcourier.com, or, of course, you can tweet at us with any questions or comments. And if you're a fan of the show, please take a second to like us and leave a rating on the Apple Podcast Store. See y'all later.